Well, let me offer a word of prayer as we start. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, being with us this whole week. Thank you for the ways in which your Holy Spirit has revealed your word in powerful ways for our benefit. Uh, Lord, our biggest challenge is not having to learn this. It's about living this. And so, God, uh, give us the uh, grace that's needed uh, to not just take these notes and throw them away at the end of the day, but to uh, retain them, to uh, study and ponder and meditate upon them so that we might be faithful in living them out. We don't want to be just listeners of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So uh, help us because uh, come Monday, uh, we're going to probably begin to forget. So draw us in, draw us in. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Tonight, in tonight's service, uh, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I will be announcing the exact day, moment, hour of the return of Christ. And uh, I jokingly said that one time, and someone took me seriously. And uh, no, I just, we always try to do things to encourage people to, to stick with it. Oh, great. How, how many of you do like a break in just a cool weather like this? You just kind of, isn't that nice? You just kind of enjoy it. That is good. Well, gang, here's what I want to do today as best I can. We need to kind of put a period on Nehemiah. Just put an exclamation point and, and kind of wrap it up. So here's what, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to take you to the end of the story. I want you, my, my goals, here, here's my goals today in our time. Number one, I take you to the end of the story, and we kind of wrap that up. Uh, number two, before we leave at some point, I want you to kind of say, you know, the one thing that I really kind of grabbed out of this study was, and it may not be anything that I said, anything I did, it might be something you just learned on your own. And want to work you through the sheet that we have here relative to lessons from Nehemiah about team, and uh, then we're going to do one little exercise, one little skit type thing together before we go. So grab your Bibles. Let's turn over to Nehemiah. If you've had your Bibles, page 591 would be a good place to go to. Now, remember, we worked through some things on conflict. We worked through some things on family. Our whole thing was based upon learning how to raise the level of your leadership, learning how to raise the level of your leadership. So many, thanks for coming, good to see you. So many people, um, so many people say, well, I'm not a leader. You are a leader. The question is what type of leader are you going to be? Years ago, uh, you need some more? Some of those are a little stiffer. They did them on stiffer paper, but just take anything you need there. Um, years ago, Bill Hybels did a deal that just really was revolutionary. The guy, the guy is incredibly intelligent. And uh, he did a deal on leadership, and he talked about the types of leadership. And a lot of times we think of leader as a person who stands up and people follow. But then he talked about there's managerial leaders, there are pastoral leaders, there are people who are strategy leaders. So a leader is just not the type of person that stands up and speaks and, and everyone listens. There are different styles of it. So as you lead in your home, as you lead at church, as you lead in your community, and you lead your, don't get caught thinking, I've got to be X, Y, Z. I have to have a persona. I have to have charisma. Uh, those things are really highly overrated. In fact, I have grown in my appreciation for managerial leaders. Um, being trained in, in leadership, we used to always say, uh, managers do things right, leaders do the right things. That's a bit of a misnomer because managerial leadership is so absolutely critical to the operation of how things go, and don't discount them. I wish I, I, wish I could have the opportunity. In fact, I had thought about having a couple guys just come up with me so they could stand with me in the morning so you could see the diversity of our team. Our senior associate pastor has been with me 31 years. is an incredible managerial leader. This guy is so organized. He keeps it organized, high in relationship skills. He has incredible relationship skills. He's a great communicator, but he is, he's got his notebooks are all organized. If you came into my office, I can find things, but nobody else could find them for me because it's just kind of all over the place. He has these notebooks where everything is just right in its perfect place. 
and he does an amazing job of it. And he has great relational skills as he does it. You're going to see a couple of our guys who have incredible pastoral skills. They just have a heart. They listen. They can just listen. They can get the best out of people. And so as God brings us together, he does it as he brings teams with varied leadership skills all come together to work on the same team. So let's go to the end of the story. Here we go. Um, let's just go all the way. Uh, take a look at chapter 6. Um, see, verse 11. Okay, I'm going to need a big outside voice. In chapter 6, verse 11, I want someone to read this because we're getting ready to come down the home stretch now. Remember, he's been under a lot of pressure, a lot of criticism. Uh, fight for your families. Remember, our God is great and awesome, and fight for your families. That whole battle cry that he had. We're coming down the home stretch. This is kind of like his, on this hill I stand, in chapter 6, verse 11, someone, big outside voice, read it out. What I said, should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, I will not go. Oh, man, don't you love that? This is kind of like um, that big cry, you know, Braveheart, you know, freedom. Uh, this is that big moment where he says, I will not go. I will, I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stick to it. Now, jump down to verse 16. Uh, someone want to read all of verse 16? Big outside voice. Read it out for us. Don't interrupt each other. Okay, here we go. <laughs> So the wall was completed, enemies lose their self-confidence, it is now done. We accomplished the task, 52 days. Now, frankly, this is the part that is just absolutely unbelievable, 52 days. 52 days this wall is done. Now, if you look at this from a construction standpoint, this is unbelievable, that a guy in Babylon can mobilize people, get all the equipment, the materials, and then go over and build it in 52 days. How was this thing accomplished? It was accomplished because this ability to do team. Remember, you can always run faster by yourself. You can run further as a team. You can run further as a team, faster by yourself. Some of you have, have, are, you know, I'll get it done, I'll do it. That's okay, but you won't be able to have the duration. You need to have that, that team. There's a story told, was it David Livingston? Uh, when he was in Africa, they told the story that uh, there was a, a guy who was moving through Africa trying to march through to the next village, and, and he had all these African workers, and, and he pushed them so hard. He pushed them so hard. And one morning, the workers got up and said, let's go, and, uh, and, 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 and said to the workers, let's go. And the workers responded and said, no, we can't. We have to take a day to let our spirits catch up with our bodies that they, they, they were trying to go so much and they weren't doing it all together as a team and it wasn't going to work. Here's an interesting one. Chapter 7 is a story then of who's going to maintain the wall. This is really interesting. There's a great lesson here because sometimes if you're a task-oriented person, you want to get something done, but you've never figured out what do we do once we get there? How do we do it? So he appoints Hananiah to be the guy to lead it. Go down to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is really interesting. Chapter 8 is the story of, so what are we going to do with what we've got? And this is the story of Ezra standing up and reading the word. Uh, it's really interesting. I actually believe Jesus would have been trained in the book of Nehemiah. He would have known the book of Nehemiah. And he would have seen the example of Nehemiah standing up. Uh, look at verse 8. This is incredible. By the way, when I work with pastors, verse 8 is one of my favorite verses. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Anybody want to read that big outside voice real loud? Here we go. Isn't that incredible? That's what preaching is all about. They read from the book of the law, making it clear so people could understand what was being read. So all of a sudden, the wall is completed, but the real job is not the wall. The wall is a tool to give a platform for the authority of the Word. And I could spend a ton of time talking about the authority of Scripture. Uh, in, in all of our movements, we're facing a, a real battle over the, the, the authority of Scripture. It's just a battle everywhere I go. 
the newest one, I will tell you this, the newest one that, that and some of the places where I'm going is we're, we're facing a battle over the historicity of Adam. Was Adam really Adam? Or does Adam just represent this generic mankind thing? And, uh, and boy, I got involved a year ago in a major, major deal. I had never, I had never studied the assault on the historicity of Adam, the biblical account of creation. And people say, well, does it make any difference? Uh-huh, it does make a difference. If you don't have a first Adam, you're not going to have a second Adam. And what we began to understand is, is that the historicity of Adam is so critical to understanding the full doctrine of salvation. And this thing is kind of starting to create massive tensions in, in movements today. And this was good for me because I, I was not aware that, that some of my fellow Dave, back up now. You're going to say some things you're going to wish you hadn't have said. Some of my fellow brethren were very, very weak on, on the historicity. Uh, I will just tell you this, and, and, and we don't need to have a debate afterwards on this. Um, be very cautious. Be very cautious with things that sound good, but in, in, in essence, they're not good. For example, I was with someone a while back, and they said, sure, the Bible contains the Word of God. Aha! Alarm system goes off. You know what they're really saying? There are also th things it contains that might not be the Word of God. The Bible doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. This is God's Word given to us. I believe it's given to us as infallible authority of Scripture. And when you begin to minimize the authority of Scripture, everything will start to unravel, and you'll have a man-based salvation. And, and so what he did in 8.8 was really good. He simply said they took the Word, and they began to read it, and they explained it so people could understand it. And that's why I just love it when we stand high on the authority of Scripture. It's not my opinion about life, but it's what does God's Word have to say about life. And so when we notice a new ethic and a new morality coming in, the book of Jude talks about this. In the book of Jude, it says, Certain men crept in unawares, and they began to turn the truth of God into a lie. And it uses, it uses a, it's really interesting, this is just free, by the way. It um, crept in unawares is an, um, an incredible uh, word picture in the Greek. Um, do, you, do you know what the word parable, uh, a parable is what? A story told to make a truth come alive, right? The first uh, three, first four letters of parable, what are they? Spell it. P-A-R-A, -A, para, which in the Greek means alongside of alongside of. And so what he says in the book of Jude is, is he said, there are people who come alongside of, but they, but they, they look the same. They look, it looks parallel, looks, looks the same. But then it says what happens is this parallel begins to deviate and they turn the truth of God into a lie. It's really fascinating. The book of Jude is very, very fascinating because the book of Jude deals with the whole concept of theological error and what happens when we start to get into these things. And, and that's why for me, if I just throw this out to you, free of charge, keep your eyes open on the discussion on the historicity of Adam and on, on the whole creation account that's going to be. I was talking to someone here debating whether or not to say things. I was talking to someone here. My, my master's degree is from a Missouri Synod, a Lutheran school, Missouri Synod. And I only did it because of proximity to where I was pastoring. And I was able to get it. It was very, very fascinating. Because this was back, this was back in 1981, uh, 1977. Within the, within the Synod, they got into this big deal over authority of Scripture. And there was a massive split that took place in the center with Seminex in St. Louis. And I, at that time, I had a live radio call-in show. That was fun. And uh, it was a secular show, sponsored, commercially sponsored. But because it was in an area where there was a Concordia University, uh, which if you understand what that means, you get it. You're nodding your head back there. You know this. I actually brought in those who were on the more progressive or liberal side of it on the authority of Scripture. And we had, we had a discussion about it. And I began to see how subtle this is to crept in unawares, this thing that appears to be parallel and then turns. And it opened my eyes to those issues. So I only mention that because in chapter 8, verse 8, what they did is they took the word 
and they read them. I love that. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Hey, anybody want to read Nehemiah 8.10? This is, this is a fun verse. This is so fun. I love it. In fact, I quote this at church all the time. Ready? Big outside voice, Nehemiah 8.10. Read this for us. Here we go, right here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Read that part again. Eat the what? Eat the fat. Choicest of foods. Go ahead. Keep reading. Hey, you always wondered where that came from, didn't you? The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where it comes from. So they get all done with the wall, and what does he do? He calls a feast. And he says, in the NIV, it says they ate the choicest of food. Now, it didn't say they did this every meal, and it didn't say they did this every day. But it did say they got out the stuff and said, we are going to celebrate. And they drank the very best, and they ate the choicest of food. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Say that together with me. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You lose your joy, you lost your strength. And what happened was in the process of building the wall, they started to lose their joy. Remember, we're mortgaging our fields, we can't do this thing. They got cross-haired with each other, and they started to do it. And, and he kind of comes to this part. There's a whole bunch more that you're going to see in the rest of Nehemiah. But to me, the capstone verse is that Nehemiah 8.10. Let's just say that together again. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So, in a sense, we can just kind of, we'll pause in our study right there, and we'll simply say, this impossible task was accomplished. The power of vision, the ability to work through conflict, uh, putting them strategically in families. This is just an amazing blueprint on how things get done and how they work. So what I want to do is I want you to take your sheets, and we're going to do a flyover now. And I'm just going to give you five keys. This actually is a sheet. You'll see a couple references here to NMC, to our church. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about learning how to work as a team in your church, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your marriage, in your greater family system. And I'm going to give you five keys, and then we're going to just do, uh, after number four, we may do a little exercise together. That's a little bit of fun. Okay, here we go. Key number one. Um, key number one to a healthy team, shared values, shared values, shared values. Now, y'all understand this thing of mission, vision, values, and all the, the corporate language that come to us. The real question is this, what is the big deal? What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Uh, this is where we come in to what's called our mission. What's, why do we exist? Why do we exist? Now, I'm a pastor of a church, so I've got to help people in the church understand what's our mission. Some people say, well, our mission is to protect my family, to provide activities for my young people. Mission is this and that. So what we had to do in our body is simply say, what is our mission? Now, I'm not really good at articulating great mission statements. So we just simply say, our mission is very simple. We exist to make fully committed disciples. It's the only reason why we exist. Jesus' last words were, therefore, having gone, make disciples of all nations. So that's all we do. So then, all of a sudden, every activity that we do is measured by one thing. Does this help us make fully committed disciples, or does this hurt us make fully committed disciples? What is the big deal around this place? So this is where at Bayshore, you know, I can begin to sense as I come alongside, you guys are pretty clear. This is the mission of Bayshore. We're going to lift up Jesus Christ. We're going to grow in him as our families do this thing together. You have those shared values, basic agreement on what's the big deal. And then within that big deal, there's a cultural way. For example, if we say our big deal is making fully committed disciples, <clears throat> there's a part of that that is inviting people in. What are we doing that's guest friendly? What are we doing that's inviting people? Are we really raising the standard and calling people to do that? Nehemiah said, my mission is one thing. We're going to build that wall. That's why he said, I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to negotiate. This is our mission. Uh, if you ever want to do something fun, uh, there's a family I know that sat down and simply said, we're going to have a family mission statement. We're going to do it. 
We're going to have a family mission statement. This is why we exist. My personal mission statement is all about this whole thing of, of making fully committed disciples by equipping churches and pastors to multiply. So anytime I get an opportunity to work with pastors, I'll take it. I have to turn down a lot of opportunities. Rarely do I turn down an opportunity. If you let me work with 50 or 100 pastors, let me get them in a room because that's a part of my passion. Because I was a pastor who almost quit the ministry and I want to encourage pastors to stay the course and to stay on. So shared, shared values, shared values. Number two, number two, and you saw this when we went through this, is shared ownership. Shared ownership. How many of you, honest poll, I want you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever run a rental car through a car wash? You have taken a car that you rented and you ran it through a car wash. I see one. Isn't that interesting? How many of you at some point or another have ran a car you've owned through a car wash? Now, why is that? Well, you say I don't rent a car that much. Fact of the matter is, you treat things you rent different than things you own. Now, what Nehemiah does is, he is absolutely a genius in getting people to own this mission. Remember I told you before when I call on people, and I, and I visit them in their home, and they say, Pastor, we like your church. We're not there yet. I want them to say, Pastor, we like our church. That one little word is the one that flips it. They've got to own it. If they own it, they'll nurture it, they'll feed it, they'll care for it. And so what he does is he gets people to own this process. Okay, find your teams. You get your teams, find out who it is that's going to play on your team. No more than four or five, no less than two. I want you to get your team set up. Turn around, make a friend, find out who's will you might be in. Hook up with somebody. Come on, find somebody. Introverts. Become extroverts. Okay. Let me, give you, let me give you your assignment right now. Here's your assignment. What can you do, and I don't care if this is a church, I don't care if it's a home, I don't care if it's with your kids, I don't, I don't care where it's at. What types of things can you do to help people feel they own something? Think about yourself. Someone invites you to be a part of something, and, 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 and you, wanna, you, wanna, you want them to feel ownership, okay? So how can you get people to feel ownership? 60-second drill, take off. What strategy could you use to increase ownership? 60 seconds. Ten seconds. Okay, let's go. How do you do this? How do you raise the level of ownership? How do you raise... See, these people own this thing. Now, obviously, the one where he was a master was is he positioned them by families over a specific area of responsibility. They own that 50 feet. Because if this sucker goes down, man... It's your 50 feet, and you do that. So how do you do it? Talk at me. Here we go, right over here. What's this? I'm pretty loud anyway. Uh, it is pretty loud, or pretty loud, pretty okay. bad kid was the rumor. Right. Well, the first day he came into my class, I said, I met him right at the door, and I said, Mark, Take care of these guys. I got to run down and go to the bathroom. I don't want no trouble, you know, like that. No one had ever asked Mark to watch the class. So I went for five. It, it turns out the kid was with me four years. Turned out to be one of the best kids I ever had in my in, in so, 
so what four happened, years. What happened was, what was a word I hear pop up so many places, responsibility. I, I would say 80% of you simply said, give people responsibility. And, and they'll own it. That's a great way. He was given responsibility. So you put the thief in charge of the bank. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Somebody else. Go ahead. Come on, Kenneth. Pick it up. Here we go. Listen to their ideas. Allow them okay. to in, be included in more than just the final decision. Ah, exactly right. Early on in the process. See, remember... Nehemiah is such a genius. Remember when he started, he took a few good men by night to survey? What happened with those few good men by night? They began, they owned it. They said, he cut me in early. He cut me in early on this thing. And by doing that, I feel like I'm a part of it. You see, some of us operate command and control. Hey, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. If we get together and say, you know, what do we need to do? And someone says, I'll do this. Whenever someone says, I'll do this, rather than you do this, they're going to feel a higher level of ownership. Pretty cool. Someone else. What's another? Right over there, Kenneth. Go. Man, Elijah's faster than he is. Here we go. Uh, investing in it or buying into it. Okay. Now, take me a step further on that. Just keep the mic right there. Keep the mic right there, Kenneth. Talk to me how we get people to buy in. we got to get people to buy. Now, that is true. Once you buy in, if you've ever bought a stock or something, or you put money in the game, skin in the game, how do we get people to do that? I don't know. Ask everybody else. <laughs> how do you do that? How do you get people to buy in? Valuable. valuable. Feel valuable. Feel important. Ask their opinion. Common mission. Oh, I love that. Common mission. We, we're all of this. Can you buy into this mission? It has to be a benefit. Has to be a benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Uh... This is something guys on my side of the equation will do to people on your side of the equation. I had an opportunity to spend uh, an hour with the guy that is probably one of the most prolific fundraisers in America. Uh, I had never heard of the guy, and I got in this group of 20, and uh, this guy's unbelievable. I mean, you're talking uh, gifts that get almost beyond millions to billions. And you know what he said that just blew me away? And frankly, I will do this now, not manipulatively, not manipulatively, but when you look at someone and say, and, and I'm going to embarrass you guys, okay? I'm going to embarrass you, so just get over it, Lou. Uh, I know Lou well enough now that I can do this to him. It better, be better be good. No. Okay, so I come on Bayshore Camp, and I just look, and you know what he says the most powerful thing you do to people is to say, Lou, Enjoyed my time at Bayshore, and I want to tell you, because of you, because of you, Bayshore is what it is. Now, you're going to defer to everybody else. But what I've done is, is I've let him know you made a difference. And the, Lou and Jerry made a difference. It's no secret that they, they I, I called someone way back from years ago, and I, I was telling them I was at Bayshore camp, and they said, oh, that's the story. And they told me about these two guys. And they told me about way back, they kind of helped, you know, with a whole bunch of people to turn the tide. Now, now, when you look at someone, and these three words, if you are ever asked, I shouldn't tell you this, if you're ever asked to raise money, you're ever asked to raise people, just use this phrase, because of you. And when people say, wow, because people do it to me, they'll say, Dave, because of you, this has been able to happen. Now, in humility, I do what you guys do and say, ah, I want to hide. If I get all my accolades here, I don't get any in heaven. But sometimes people will become greater owners when they understand you made a difference. You made a difference. We're staying in the Warner cabin, Christy and I are. That's a sweet gig. Man, that is nice. That place is really nice. And there are pictures up on the wall. And then I heard the story about what they did with the cabin and how it came to, to Bayshore. And I looked up there the other night and I thought to myself, how? Ah, because of them. Because of them, there's pastors that come on this grounds and are able to kind of take rest and do it. Now, they're gone, but that powerful phrase, because of you, you say that sometime. In fact, I tell you what, if you're young and you want to say that to your parents, 
just as a word of thanks. Hey, because of you, I was able to make it through college. Because of you, I learned things. Most powerful phrase you'll ever use. Okay, so we got, we got a break. Here we go. Let's get back on task, David. Okay, shared ownership. Good leadership is not something done to people, but something done with people. Nehemiah didn't do this to people. He did this with people. And that's so important. In fact, this now has become a buzzword in our team. We'll say, hey, we're going to make a change in Department XYZ. And someone will say, I think we're doing this to them, not with them. I think we better slow this one down. Because people don't like it when things are done to them. They like it when things are done with them. Big difference. Number three. Number three. We're driven by what's best for the team. What's best for the team. What's best for the team. This is where... We have to figure out in everything that we do together in leadership, what is best for this body? What's best for this team? Because I'll tell you this, what's best for the team is not always best for you individually. So you've got to put aside your personal agendas. You've got to say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Because there were people who said, this thing is costing me far too much. Remember, we're mortgaging our fields and we're doing all this stuff. And so they came to the place to where they had to say, it's not what's best for me. We will do what's best for the body. We'll do what's best for the body. We'll do what's best for the body. Now, if you're a strong-willed person, you're going to say, it is all about me. Uh, one of the hardest, we, we made some hard changes. When you pastor the same church for 38 years, you go through some tricky stuff. And uh, we've had to make some hard changes over the year. We're in our one, two, three three, fourth, redone, really, in essence, our fifth sanctuary in those years. There's memories attached to those places. People have, you know, I got married here. I buried my husband here. How can you change this? And we say, well, you know, I hurt for you, but remember the deal. It's not about what's best for me. It's about what's best for us. Boy, you raise kids. Isn't that a fun thing to do? To say, you know, it's not about you, Johnny. It's not all about you. We will do what's best for the family. And sometimes what's best for the family is not best for you. And by the way, if you have a child-centered home, you are going to raise a monster because that monster is going to think all of life is about me getting my own way and doing my own thing. And you have to learn what's best for the team. And so you start to put that in. I believe Nehemiah models this well as he does this. Um, uh, what's best for the team? Effective teams put aside personal agendas, I talked about this before. Agenda harmony is critical. Agenda harmony is critical. Years ago, in the early years of the church, we were going through a lot of changes. Bessie Wise, who's now in heaven, was one of the wisest women I ever met in my life. I came in as a young pastor, and Bessie would have me over to her house. I, just, I absolutely love this lady. She, uh, her only son, at the age of 12, was hit by a car and killed. With the, just weeks after her and her, her husband retired, they were hog farmers. They sold out the business. They went to Florida. He was crossing a highway. got hit by a car, and he was killed. And so Bessie was, was a widow all alone. And, and, and Bessie just, she was, she was uh, for, uh, for the guys in the church, she was always like our mother. And she was the one that was wise. She'd, Bessie was good. And uh, Bessie, one, she, she had so many things she taught me as a young guy. Um, one time, we were going through a spurt in the church, and it was just starting to take off, and, and she was a little concerned about how this was going to work, and so she called me over to her house, and, and she was not a mean lady. She was just the sweetest lady. She sat me down, and she said, Pastor, there's one thing I want you to know. She said, the Lord knows who to bring in. The Lord knows who to take out. Don't get them mixed up. <laughs> Process that one. She said, God's going to bring some people in. That's okay. God's going to take some people out. But don't try to get people who he's taking out to stay in, and don't get people who ought not to come in to come in. Just let the Lord do this. The Lord knows who to bring in. The Lord knows who to take out. Don't get them mixed up. That became a mantra amongst our team. As a pastor, you never get excited when people say, hey, I'm going to leave, or I'm upset about this or that, or honked off on something. But I always remember Bessie's words. Because she focused us in on this thing of, we'll do what's best for the team. Bessie uh, was part of a, a Sunday school class of all the older people in the church. Now imagine, I'm in my 20s, early 30s, 
and we're going through big changes. Some of them are musical changes. You know, the style is changing a little bit. I'll never forget the first time we projected words on the front. It was like demons had invaded the church, you know. I had someone write me a letter and say, Pastor, I hate your off-the-wall music. True story. True story. And then when drums came in, that's rock and roll straight from hell, you know. And what are you going to do? So I went, into, I went into Bessie's Sunday school class. Probably about 20, 25, 30 people there. Here I am, early 30s then. And I walked in and I just told them how much I loved them. Thanked them for their patience. Told them change is hard, it's difficult. You guys are the ones, because of you, the cause is moving forward. Shared a couple stories that changed lives with them. And I'll never forget, the end of class, Bessie raised her hand. And I'm thinking, here we go. <laughs> Just sweet, though. And I said, Pastor, I want to tell you how excited I am about what's happening in my church. She said, I'm just excited about it. She said, I, I see these people's lives change. She said, they're different. Some of them are inked up, and some of them wear crazy hairstyles and do all these things. But I just love to see lives change. I love to see lives change. She said, and as long as lives change, we're going to be fine in this place. But the day it stops, I'll be all over you. <laughs> and I said, it's a deal. It's a deal. Because what she said is, is I get the mission. And I'm in for this because it's not what I like. I don't like quite what's being sung. I don't like what's happening. But I'll do what's best for the body and not what's best for me. And I really would challenge you in whatever realm you're working in to be mature enough uh, we had a discussion the other day that came up. We're going to have to add a service, and, and we're trying to figure this thing out. And I share this with you in strictest of confidence because uh, this isn't being recorded or anything. But the, the question came up, well, let's add a Saturday night service. And uh, uh, I thought to myself, that's not best for the pastor. That is not best because Nebraska plays their games Saturday late. <laughs> And uh, there's no way that God would want me to preach when there's a Nebraska football game going on. <laughs> and I thought to myself, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, I'm going to break my back on this deal. Come on, guys. We're flying hard. Sometimes I have to visit all five services on a Sunday, always preaching all three. And now you're going to throw a Saturday thing in on me. It exists everything else. And then this little voice in the back of my head said, it's not about you, Dave. It's what's best for the body. It's what's best for the body. And we always like that phrase as long as it doesn't inconvenience us. <laughs> Agenda harmony, that's your blank under number one. Okay, key four. Key four, are you ready for it? Respect, trust, and open communication. The value has to be a level of respect, trust, and open communication. Uh, if you want to read a book, I, I tell you what, when I list books off, someone sent me from home, sent me an email yesterday and said, you referenced the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. I, I wrote him back and said, hey, you don't need to buy the book. Just Google Angela Duckworth Grit. Go on. You'll find online a summary of the book. You don't have to pay 20 bucks for the book. You can do it. Emotional Intelligence, Daniel Goldman, Five Marks of Emotional Intelligence. Just Google the articles. Uh, unless you really want to dig in it, you, you can, you, there's so much available online that you can get this. We always teach the five keys of emotional intelligence and empathy and, and self-management, self-awareness, those, those five things. I'm really big on those. Whenever we bring in interns for the summer, I personally teach that whole thing of grit and, and emotional intelligence. So um, what, what, I, there's a book that came out. It's Stephen Covey's son. Has anybody ever heard about the book, The Speed of Trust? Have you heard about this book? Oh, my goodness. Don't buy it. But go ahead and Google The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. This thing is incredible. This thing is incredible. For me, it was. You probably won't like it. But I loved it. Because The Speed of Trust simply says, when trust is high, everything can move real fast and cost will go real low. And when trust is low, everything goes slow and cost is high. Every time I go through airport security, they do not trust me. They do not trust me. 
They think I'm carrying some weapon or something. So what happens? Slows everything down. I got to go through this thing. I've learned. I take my backpack and I empty all my pockets before I get there and take off my belt and everything else. I told the lady one time, I'm coming naked to this place because it's just terrible. And she said, please don't. But, uh, but, but, but why, why is that? Because we don't trust people on airplanes, right? There's a reason not to because somebody blew up an airplane. So when, when trust... When, when the speed of trust says, when trust is high, everything can go fast and the cost goes down. What in the world does airport security cost these days? I just use that as an example. When trust is low, everything is slow and the cost of everything is high. I, I thought about that driving by a fruit stand on the way up here the other day. It said out there, it, it had this little... Serve yourself, you know, I forget what they were selling. And they basically said, put in the amount of money in this box. What they were saying is trust is high. So you don't have to wait to get changed. You don't have to stick your chip reader in that thing and take eternity to read that stinking thing. And then the cost goes down because they don't have any processing fees because they trust you. But because someone ripped them off one day, they said, no, we're going to slow this thing down. Get your little chip reader out, stick your card in there, slow it down, and then they're going to have to pay 3 or 4% handling fee to do it. Well, this is the same in relationships. In relationships, when trust is high, we can go fast. We can get things done. We can move because I trust you and you trust me. Nehemiah put trust in those few good men. They became the leaders. How did they get this thing done in 52 days? Ha <laughs> ha, speed of trust. Trust was high. So in teams, in families, in churches, I I'm going to jump out on a limb. I have been at the same church 38 years. Can I tell you a little secret? I think they've learned to trust me. I think they trust me. I'm never going to abuse them. I'm never going to spend money wildly. I go before finance committees, open books, everything. They said the guy is just stinking tight. He's not going to do anything. He's so I think in 38 years, I have earned trust. Therefore, we can move really fast on some things, and it's not gonna, we're not going to get belabored as we do it. Now, that's how healthy teams work. If you work at government right now, how are we doing in our government? I would say right now, trust is right down here, and trust is real low, so nothing will get done, and we'll spend a lot of money doing absolutely nothing. So we have to create all these agencies to measure everything and do it, because trust is low. This works in marriage. This works in marriage. If I've got a great relationship with Christy and she trusts me, if I'm 20 minutes, 30 minutes late sometimes, she's not sitting down there and saying, what's going on? She trusts me that I'm going to do this thing. And everything works better because of trust as it goes. I am a gigantic believer on the speed of trust. Now, I have to be secure as a leader because if I'm insecure as a leader, I'm not going to trust the people that I'm leading. And if I don't trust the people I'm leading, then this whole thing's going to grind down. It is the most fascinating theory. I believe it's a... See, I believe all these theories these guys find, they're just biblical principles. When Jesus trusted his disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, go, I'm going to give you the power. He released them, and he had a high level of trust in them, knowing they were going to experience the filling of the Spirit. And so what happens to the gospel? Boom, it explodes. <laughs> and there's no cost. I mean, it just happens as it goes. So just remember that. Now, I want to do something with you. Uh, it talks about gift diversification. We talk about, I, I just filled these in for you so we wouldn't have to take the time. High level of confidence and performance of those around you. Uh, I did put at the end, conflict, and this is one review from the other day, the last blank on four. Conflict is the fertile soil for growing healthy relationships. To get to trust, we have to have good, tough, hard conversations. Okay, I want to do something with you. Just as a, as a quick, fun exercise. This is silly, but we're going to enjoy it, okay? Because I told you you have to, okay? So well, let's enjoy this. Okay, now when God puts us together to accomplish tasks like the wall, he uses the diversity of personalities. We are all different, right? We're all different. We're just different. But we think we're the right personality and everybody else is the wrong personality. But I am incomplete without all the others that surround me. So I wanna, I'm going to do this in the form of a little skit. It'll be silly, but we'll have fun. Luke, come on up here. Help me. Come on up here. Now, 
There are four, you, you guys have all been trained on a lot of this stuff. This is absolutely nothing new to most of you in this room. But there are, and, and they, they have different ways. Come on, right over here, brother. Right over here. Now, there are four <coughs> basic personality types that we're going to have to learn to work together. In fact, you'll see this if you take Nehemiah and you really get underneath it, you'll see these personality types come out. The first personality type is a natural leader. A natural leader. And, and Lou, for you, your mantra is going to be this simple phrase. I'm in charge. I want you to say that right now. I'm in charge. No, get your fist out. Get your fist out. Come on, Lou. Don't wimp on me. Come on. Are you ready? I'm in charge. No, louder, stronger. Come on. I'm in charge. That's right. Are you a wimp or are you a man? I am a man. You're a man. Yeah. Tell them you're in charge. I'm in charge and I'm a man. <laughs> I'm in charge. Now this, this is, now, now when you look at personality testing, these are what we call the dominant personalities, right? Right. You got one motto, right? Right. I'm in charge. No, you're not. <laughs> come on, Lou, come on. Okay, I'm in charge. Stronger. I'm in charge. Don't have a heart attack. Okay, there you go. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, uh, so you, that, that, that's that personality. Now, in every group that comes together, <laughs> I'm taking you with me on the road, buddy. Uh, in every group that comes together, there's always this. In fact, in every church, in every school, in every organization, there is a Lou, and he comes into a meeting, and he wants you to know... I'm in charge. That's right. And you better do it. Come on up. Come on up. I want you to help me. Now, 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 there's, now, now this personality is going to be there. But then there's another personality. Another personality comes in. Now, this personality is very different. Because this personality is all about having fun. We just got to have fun. We got to have fun. That's it. That's it. Now, 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 here's what's going to happen when you bring people together. This personality says, are we having fun yet? Can you say that? Are we having fun yet? And this personality says, have fun on your own time. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Your mantra is, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And you're going to say, as long as we're having fun, that's okay. That's right. Having fun yet. Get your phrase down. Are we having fun yet? Are we having Okay. I'm in charge. Yeah. Now, now it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting how you take these people and they got to work together. <laughs> and he says, I'm, I'm, going, "I'm going with you on this as long as as long as I'm in charge." And she says, "Well, as long as we have fun, we're going to do it. We're going to do it." Okay. Now there's another type of personality that comes up. Come on up. Come on. You can help me. Come on up here. Now this type of personality is a personality that is just sweet. They're just nice. And this personality is a type of personality that wants to make sure everybody's getting along. Right over here. Everybody's getting along. And so this personality says, are we all okay? Are we all okay? I'm in charge. I'm having fun. <laughs> now, now, this personality is all based on feelings and wants to have these little feelings of everyone loving each other. The, the, this is what we call, in personality testing, in performance, they call this the steady personality. They're just steady. They just want to make sure everybody's okay with everybody else. And, and when Lou goes on one of his... I'm in charge. And... Are we having fun yet? She's looking and saying, are, are, the, are these guys going to be okay with each other? They get really <laughs> nervous that there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict in this thing. And so what happens is, when they get together to meet, this person always feels like it's my responsibility to make sure that we have peace. Because peace is the most important thing in the world. This is my mother. This is my mother. My mother is just this personality. When, when the grandkids go home after Christmas gathering, my mother meets everybody at the door and says, now, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Is everything doing okay? And, and she just, just, just peace at every price. Okay, now... Now watch God's sense of humor. Watch his sense of humor. Come on up. Help me. Yep. Need a third one. I need, I need, my, I need my cash register guy. Okay. So, so the fourth personality type that comes up. 
So let, let's get this down now. Now, hang on, because these people marry each other. I mean, they got to live together. So you've got... I'm in charge. Are we having fun yet? Are we okay here? This personality says things have to be done right. Now, I want you to get that down. Just, just things have to be things done. Things have to be done right. You're all about rules. Absolutely. You got to have it right on the number. You don't balance the books. It's perfectly balanced. If there's a are more important than money. <laughs> Go back in your cave. Okay. So, so what happens is this is the type of person that is ordered and neat. Everything has its proper places. Books are all done, mildly OCD, but they just, they just have to have everything has to be done absolutely right. So, so I want you to imagine you're in a church board meeting. That's my world. And in a church board meeting, you've got the bulldog. I'm in charge. And then you've got the party animal. we got to have fun. Are we having fun? And then you've got the peace lady. Are you okay here? But everything has got to be done right. Now, watch what happens. Watch what happens. When they get together, two of these people are relational in their quotient. You two step forward. These two are really about, they're just about people. They're about relationship. These two on the outside are about process. They, 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 they don't care that much about people. They just want, hey, Lou, you're okay. But, but they care about people, but they got to get their vote passed. They got to get it through. This guy goes to a board meeting. Oh, here, here's how it works in a board meeting. Step back. Here's how it works in a board meeting. This guy walks out of the meeting and he says, got it through on a five to four vote. We killed him and feels great about it. This person says, man, those are the best cookies and the funniest jokes I've ever heard. It was a great board meeting. We laughed so much at the board meeting. Wasn't that funny? It was great. This person walks out and says, I, I don't think those two people like each other. I don't think they're getting along. We've got trouble in the church. We're going to do it. This guy walks out and said, on the third motion, I didn't hear a second. There was not a second to that motion. I don't think that passed. I don't think that passed. The world's coming to an end because it didn't pass. And God says to you, guess what? I'm going to ask you all to work together. And you've got to say, you've got to be stinking kidding me. How are they going to do it? How are they going to work together? Now, here's a question for you, test question. We can have a lot of fun with these things. There's actually, I have a pirated test, 30 questions that kind of helps people understand. By the way, you are not one of these pe persons. You're a combination of all four. And, and some people are, you know, the problem is if you are a combination of these two only, you better go to work on your relational skills. And if you're a combination of these two here, you better go to work on your organizational detailing skills. And so when you get these combinations, they work. It's kind of interesting. Years ago when I did premarital testing, we'd test out using this type of thing. And we'd take, this is so much fun. We would take a guy's test and we'd take a gal's test and we'd put them right on top of each other. And we'd say, oh, Jesus, we need a miracle because this thing's got conflict written all over it because it's going to happen. And most of our conflicts in marriage actually come out of just basic personality differences. Christy and I had been married, uh, I think maybe three years. We were in Dodge City, Kansas, attending a marriage retreat. We took a test like this, and we discovered that we were opposites. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. What are we going to do? We're married three years, and, and our personalities are just totally opposite. And the guy came over beside us, and he sat down, took our test results, and he looked at us, and he said, this is a remarkable. And I thought, yeah, you're not married to her. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and he said to me, he said, you need this woman more than you realize. I said, why? And he said, she is going to keep your feet on the ground. She's going to keep you steady. She's going to keep you solid. You are going to be a disaster without her. And I thought, okay, now what's the other side? He looked at her and said, and ma'am, your life is going to be boring unless you marry this guy and stay married to him. Because this guy is going to take you places you never dreamed you'd go, do things you never thought you would, because you're just a kind of a flatliner. And you need someone to add that spice to you. Now, here's a question. Don't, don't, don't talk out loud to me on this one. Process for 15 seconds before you speak. Which one was Jesus? Now, just, hang on, hang on. Don't, don't say it. Don't say it out loud. A lot of times people start blurting on this one. I want you to think which one of these four was Jesus. 
And you know probably the obvious answer. The obvious answer is all four. And that's why to do the work of Jesus, you can't fully do it by yourself. It won't work. No one is the full meal deal. You're a few French fries short of a bag. You know, you, it's not going to work. See, that's why God said, I'm going to put you together in groups. I'm going to put you together in teams. And the very things that you think can you. So Jesus, Jesus said when he went into the temple, he walked in, say your line. He said, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And he said it flat out. How many of you have had 5,000 people for a meal and you <laughs> fed them and said, man, we're going to feed these people. We're going to have a great time. Everywhere Jesus was going, hanging out with these disciples. Jesus had an incredible sense of humor. In fact, there's so much humor in the gospel that it just slips right over us. Do you ever wonder what Jesus wrote in the sand with the woman <laughs> taking the doctor? He said something that was so stunning, so cutting. But Jesus had this ability. What we, we celebrate in our church as one of our ordinances at our church, the Last Supper, it is a meal with people together around a table. Don't ever stop the little children from coming to me. Don't you ever stop those children from coming to me. For such is the kingdom of God. And Jesus would see people that society had thrown on the heap, and he'd say, she touched the hem of my garment. Behold, he healed. Jesus, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. This thing will be done perfectly on time. Ordered everything perfectly on time. And they said, we want to tell people who you are. He said, not yet. My time has not come. Now, what you begin to see is, is as we work, see, this is why I am so big on the relational component of doing team, because we will never fulfill the call of Jesus until we all come together. We die to the dark side, we die to our self-centeredness and our pride, and we learn how to take our own unique gifting and tie it to others for the cause of the kingdom. Would you thank these guys? Would you give them a big thank you? Wow. Hey, if you're in charge, Lou, I'm sitting down. You can just finish this class. You can do it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh. Let's go to number five. Key number five. You guys are more fun than a rubber crutch. That is good. That is good. <laughs> now we're having fun. Now we're having fun. <laughs> you, you guys would... Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get this, let's get on task. You know what'd be interesting is uh, just as an aside, over time things happen. Over time, your 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 personality begins to to mature and you change. Uh, years ago, when I took the test myself, my I has always been pretty good. Uh, my D was really high when I was young. What's happened now is, out of necessity, my C has had to rise because it's just so much things in my life that I have to be more organized. I have to get there. And uh, I think as we age, I think as we age, sometimes our S can get bigger. And uh, it just, the steady personality, just, just more sensitive toward people. Uh, understand that some of the things that we fought so hard for maybe weren't worth fighting that hard for. And uh, maturity starts to soften our spirits as we do that type of thing. You will discover that. Someone said as you age, you'll either, get, you'll either get better or bitter, one of the two. And I do get concerned about that. I'm seeing so many people, I mentioned this earlier, who as they age, they get bitter. Oh, man, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to become a negative, grouchy, old, fat grandpa that's just down on everybody. <laughs> and boy, it's easy to do in the world in which we live. Let me give you number five. Let me give you number five, and we spent a whole day on this one, so we're not going to spend much time. Number five, these healthy groups have strong conflict resolution skills. Strong conflict resolution skills. Now, this was the thing we saw in one whole day we took with Nehemiah, where Nehemiah recognized that conflict is normal, neutral, natural, and he had this ability to simply say, we're going to work through this. 
We're going to work through this. You have patterns of how you're going to do conflict, and if you haven't learned the ability to do it Christ-like, I, I wanted to spend time with you in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is absolutely phenomenal. It talks about this relational thing. Our God is a relational God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Changes us in our vertical relationship. But the work of the Holy Spirit does a work in our horizontal relationships. And this is where we've got to go to work on it. We have to go to work on it. I am absolutely convinced that the flow of the Spirit of God may well be stymied in bodies, groups, marriages, and churches because of unresolved relational issues. Because we tend to push up underground. The third person here simply said, are we all getting along? Remember we talked about peace fakers? Peace fakers so want peace that they'll fake as though everything's okay and they'll never have the hard conversations. They'll never sit down and have the hard conversations. Peace breakers, that's Brother Lou, on the other side, they just want their will so bad they'll get peace and that is they'll annihilate the enemy. So there is no enemy. They'll basically die to that person as they do it. And this is one of the amazing things that Jesus taught is trying to do this thing in our groups so we can learn what it is to have tough, hard conversations. I had to bring in one of our teammates the other day. And uh, one of our teammates had just said to me, had become kind of disinterested and performance maybe looked like it was a little off. And I just sensed the passion heart wasn't there. And I sensed maybe they were skirting responsibility. And I hate like crazy to have those meetings. I'm not a guy that wakes up in the morning and says, let's have a confrontation today. If I can dodge a confrontation, I'll do it. My life is full of confrontations. And I had what I talked to you guys about, this courage deficit disorder. I had a moment where my courage went, went pretty low. And I told myself, Dave, you've got to do it. You've got to have the confrontation. And so I arranged it. I, I, I didn't want to schedule it way out, knowing that he would go into hyperventilation, feeling like, am I going to lose my job? And so I kind of planned it in a way where we could do it somewhat natural. Just said, hey, stop by the office a little later. So he stopped by, he sits down. And I had to, I had to develop my finest I could do, which wasn't that great, just simply to speak the truth in love to him. And say, buddy, I love you, but I sense it's not there. Let me tell you, I sense you're distracted. I sense you're not returning phone calls. I sense I'm picking up from the office and from the people here, your teammates are saying, man, the guy failed me. He didn't follow through when he said he would. And this just doesn't seem like you. And I just need to let you know what's happening, what's wrong. And he, he, started, he, went, into it, he went in and said, you know, I, I don't think it's that bad. Can you give me examples? And I said, well, I'm kind of hesitant to go through the to-do list, you know, and trying to hesitate to hang people out. And I said, I've asked your teammates next time that you fail them to let you know that, boy, I thought you were going to get back on this. You put me in a bad spot. And it was really interesting. We ended up, we prayed together. That night, he sent, me a, he sent me a text. And he said, Dave, thanks so much for having the courage to point out things in my life that need to improve and things in my work that need to get better. And I want to grow. I was so proud of him. I thought, that's a mature guy. That's a mature guy that could have gotten horribly defensive, could have got relationally adverse, and instead basically said, I'm going to invite you to say hard things to, to, to me, and I'm going to do it. Sometimes it's leaders. I have a theory on leadership, and that is the higher you go in the leadership, the fewer the people tell you the truth. Don't ever forget that. The higher you go in leadership, the fewer the people will tell you the truth. Maybe it's because you intimidate them. Maybe because there's an imbalance of power and they don't feel free to do it. Now, there are some people who tell me the truth that I wish wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they kind of like shooting at the guy at the top and, and loading up their guns. But because of that, I have to invite the right people into my life to help make me better. Because if I'm going to lead, I've got to be able to receive from people the correction that God's going to want to give me. I want you to do something real quick. Last exercise, we got five minutes. I want you to get in your teams, and I'm going to push you a little bit now. I'm going to push you a little bit. I want you in your groups real quickly, real quickly, to just share. You know, the one thing in these days, some of you have been here all the days, you're gluttons for punishment. Some of you have been here maybe one or two or three of the days. I want you to do the one thing that you say, I learned one thing. 
about myself, my leadership, what I need to do. One takeaway. If you're like me when I come to stuff like this, it's like I'm drinking out of a fire hydrant. There's so much coming at me, and I can't get it all. And so what I do because of my ADD nature is I have to focus in on one takeaway from this time together. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray with you all right now, and then I'm going to let you go into those little things, and then when we're done with those with, with the prayer, when you're done in your group, you can just consider yourself dismissed. And if your group takes 30 seconds, God bless you. It's been great to spend the time. And if your group wants to take longer, it's totally up to you. Now, before I pray, can I thank you guys? I know you say, I bet this guy goes to every place he speaks and says the same thing to every group. I have probably never been in a setting in a morning sessions at camp that I've ever felt that is structured in a way that I absolutely love than this. This is just stinking fun. It is, just to be with you. And a lot of times they get you and they say, now preach, and people are scattered, guys are catching up on naps and everything else. And uh, I, I don't know who I compliment, Jeff, I don't know if it's you or Kevin or who it is, but the way you guys have structured your mornings here at camp is genius. It's genius. May your tribe increase. May your tribe increase. I do these things fairly often. And oh, Jesus, let your tribe increase because you're doing a great job. And I really think my wife has said the same thing about the other class she's in. She said, man, this is just so neat to be able to have this. So I thank you. And uh, I love you guys. Can I pray for you? Jesus, now as we take just these last two or three minutes, process through learning points. There's probably 10 points that I learned. But Father, help me to take the one that I can grab onto. It's been a neat journey. Nehemiah will always be rich in my life. I kind of wonder when Jesus read through Nehemiah as he's beginning his ministry, if some of these principles didn't just kind of stick into his head as he built the disciples. Who knows? Maybe Nehemiah was the one book that just grabbed him with leadership principles as he divested himself of divinity at certain times and took on the full humanity. So, Father, thank you for using Nehemiah to teach us this week. May we learn well. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, now go to work. Go to work. Go Before to work. you work, you let's uh, thank Dave for his time with us this week.